Hola, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pretty Sure Podcast, the podcast where we talk about life, love, travel, business, and everything in between. Life tends to get messy sometimes, and nobody really taught us how to live it. With your new best friend, confidant, and host, yours truly, Sabrina. I will always have your back, and it is my mission that you never feel alone again because I'm always here. So fasten your seatbelts because the ride is about to get really bumpy. Welcome to season two. Let's go! Hello, everybody. Today we have a really, really special guest because since Corona situation is starting to lift a little bit here in Paris, I actually have my guest here with me. Um, before I introduce her, I want to tell you guys a little bit about the topic we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk all about creativity, expressing yourself, and just, you know, all of those things where you find inspiration, um, forms of creativity, and all of that. So without further ado, I want to, guys, I want to introduce you guys to my guest, Karina. hope I'm <laughs> pronouncing it correctly because I, you you are. Know, I always mess up the names. <laughs> so yeah, tell us a bit about yourself, and I'm so excited because this is the first live interview I've ever I've ever done. I'm super excited to be here with you today. And thank God Corona's lining up in Paris. I mean, not everywhere else in the world, but, you know, I'm thankful. Let's hope the second wave doesn't come back to bite us. Fingers crossed. <laughs> my hair's crossed. My toes are crossed. Everything I can cross is crossed because... We're not ready. <laughs> We're not ready. No one's ready. And I don't think I can survive another, um, you know, lockdown again. But we'll see. So, yeah, tell us a bit about yourself, where you're from, and all of that before we get into the burning questions. So, I am Karina, as you've already mentioned. I am from New York, and I was born in West Africa in Togo. I moved to Paris about six years ago to study communications at the American University of Paris, which is where I met you. And uh, I studied communications and marketing, and now I'm working on a PhD in business management and strategy and innovation. And uh, all of that has uh, led me essentially to starting my own company. And I'm really excited about it. Yeah? Yeah. I'm going to be working with really great talents that are based in New York and Paris. Okay. And I can't wait to see what we can come up with together. So before we dive into what is actually what you're going to do in your company, let's circle a little bit back to let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> to, you know, how the whole creative situation started for you. So, were you always a creative child? Did it just start in your adult age? Like how how did that whole thing come? I was actually thinking the other day about how when my mom would go to parent-teacher conferences, they she would always get the comment of, Karina needs to stop drawing in class. <laughs> and my mom, you know what? She was really supportive. She said, Karina, you don't have to stop drawing in class. As long as you pay attention, you get good grades. If drawing makes you feel more comfortable, do it. And I thought, that's really great. Um, so I, I've always loved to draw. My grandmother's a really great painter. She's Haitian and she paints landscapes. They're so beautiful. And so I, I think the encouragement for creativity has been a lifelong thing. But I'd also say that I don't, I don't think I ever really stuck to a craft long enough to be phenomenal, phenomenal at it. I'd say I'm good at a lot of the things that I am passionate about, mm -hmm. but I'm not Picasso. <laughs> 
So it's funny that you mentioned that. So what have been sort of creative outlets you've used? Like, did you use to dance? Do you, like you mentioned painting, like what have been all the things that you've done in your life? I wish I danced. Dancing has been a dream of mine, but I'm terrible. I have two left feet. But I mean, that's something that you can correct, I, I like to think. Um, I started off drawing. I like to draw cartoon characters. And um, I did a little bit of painting, but not really much. Digital art is a dream come true for me because I, I always knew that if I could draw and erase whatever I did completely mm-hmm. to make a, a new mark, that would just be revolutionary. So the iPad Pro, drawing on that and being able to use it like Photoshop with layers, that completely changed the game for me and it helped me elevate my creative skills 100%. It just made it so tactile. Um, I did photography when I was in high school, too. I was the high school fashion photographer and uh, the editor of the the school fashion section. And uh, that was a really foundational experience for me. It actually led to me choosing communications as a major and Mm -hmm. ultimately who I am today, realistically. And that also led me to study film a little bit and cinema um, at AUP, which has... All of those outlets have culminated to me wanting to go into marketing, but to also make the creative landscape even more approachable for other talents that I know want to go into that professionally. Mm -hmm. But not only that, but I, I want to use those skills, the knowledge of how those fields and medias work to help brands be more ethical with how they produce and how they reach their customers and even just how they make their own products Mm -hmm. make them care a little bit more (laughs) for sure that's one of like society's main problems right now (laughs) and what has been your favorite out of all of those that you've done because there must be a favorite i would love to make a feature film that i'm that just speaks to the emotions that i've felt throughout my life or that can just move uh, others but mm-hmm. really that that can make me feel like I put my soul into it because I in school I was able to make films but I don't think any of them really went where I wanted it to mm-hmm. so I think that would be that would be really um it was like which one's been your favorite so far yeah film has been my favorite it's a combination of all of them really Mm -hmm. you know yeah i agree with that that's so cool um and so did you always knew you were gonna study communications like did you kind of just figure like what was your dream when you were a child it changed actually a couple of times. Please don't tell me you wanted to be a doctor. In the I window. did. No way. <laughs> I did. <laughs> There's a reason though. Okay. Of yeah. my grandfather's a dentist and a lawyer. My grandmother okay. is a pediatrician. My aunt is a um, she's a pharmacist. My dad is a parasitologist. So oh, wow. I don't know if you see the pattern here. <laughs> medicine, medicine, medicine. <laughs> medicine. And so I thought, you know, little old me in the second grade, I said, you know what? I'm going to be a doctor too, but I want to be a different kind of doctor than they are. Mm-hmm. So I said I'd either be an, an ophthalmologist, an eye doctor, okay. or, a, I mean, he's all, my, my grandfather was already a dentist, 
but I love teeth. So I, I was like, maybe I'll just copy my grandfather and just also be a dentist. <laughs> That's so funny. What changed? Like, what was... Was it just, like, all the years spent in school that you're just, like, screw that? Or oh, was it man. just, like, your life took you in a different Girl, path? Let me tell you, I was... Just thinking about the long process of medical school made me really sad. Yeah. One of the first moments that I, I knew I wanted to do something a little bit more creative, I think I had to be 12 or 13, and I was watching Degrassi, which is Love. this... Oh, man, that was my jam. Baby Drake. <laughs> Aubrey Graham, <laughs> as he used to be called. I saw they were doing a competition mm-hmm. to win a spot on the next season of Degrassi. And oh, I, yeah, they started the new Degrassi or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, in... Oh, now? You mean that? Would Back you... then. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were they were casting for a new member and they were allowing their audiences to join. And I was like, oh, I never thought about this. Maybe I do want to be an actress. <laughs> and then I really started taking it seriously. My uh-huh. mom got me into theater school. I loved it. Wow. Man, it was so moving to mm-hmm. be able to learn that. And then in high school, I was in the, the school play. Uh, in Barefoot in the Park, I played the mom. And I have to say, oh, it's it's a really great play. Okay, I'll write that down. They have it on YouTube, too. But <laughs> I, I played the mom. And okay. I think I have never felt a feeling like being on stage and having the crowd react to what you're saying and just transmitting that emotion. Mm-hmm. It is an incredible feeling. And I... Don't think anything really comes close to it. Maybe public speaking does, but it's not the same. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to do that, but I never actually managed to try because in Mexico we didn't really have school plays and stuff, at least not where I was, um, the school I was. <laughs> <laughs> what is the like? What did you learn from that experience, and why didn't you pursue it? Because it sounds like you love it. Mm-hmm. Is it like the money aspect that, you know, it's really hard to be successful as a theater person unless you're like a producer or whatever, or like a Broadway star sensational or whatever? <laughs> I guess that's a part of it, really. My mom was always really nervous about the whole starving artist. Oh, yeah. And um, she supports me in the arts. She supports my desire to be creative and to work in artistic things. But she just wanted to be sure that I would get a degree and Mm -hmm. be able to support myself and uh, create at the same time. And I think that was the wisest thing I could do. So I knew that I was going to do art, but how and when I wasn't sure. But through communications, I've been able to express myself in so many ways. I took the opportunity to study so many different avenues while I was in school. Mm-hmm. It really helped me. Um, and, and studying film, it's an indirect way of doing theater and, and performing because yeah. I'm, still, I'm still putting my, uh, my soul into something, you know? Um, just in a different way. That's a nice way of seeing that. Okay, well, that's cool. Ooh, I'm drowning myself. <laughs> so you said you also did journalism. Um, what is the di- like main difference for you between kind of like acting and creating the stories? Because you're, in a way, still creating stories when you're acting and all of that. That's a really interesting question. 
I mean, in journalism, it was generally a lot more. Um, you know what? You're you're you make a really good point because you're you're still telling a story, mm-hmm. but in a different voice. And as a journalist, your aim is generally to teach mm-hmm. or to. But you can also teach when you're telling a story. Actually, you 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 do <laughs> teach <laughs> when you're telling a story in a nar- in a narrative sense. Uh-huh. And opt-ed journalism is still storytelling in a very pure form. It's really just the tone that you're using to convey the story to the audience. So in a way, really, it's you the you're, it's the same thing. Yeah, I never really thought about it that way, <laughs> but I I have to say I. I'm still right now trying to figure out which tone I like to use. Okay. Because. Uh, Easier. What type of journalism do, do you like? To write or to read? Both. I guess to write to because write. we're talking about creative. Because you're talking about your tone. Like, is it the way you're writing you haven't found your style? Or is it more like you haven't found exactly the type of journalism you like? Like, is it more... both. Okay. I think right now I find myself most easily writing in the educational context. Okay. Like... Like essays, essays, e-books. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's also because I'm doing the PhD. I'm still so in school mode. Mm -hmm. That is the voice that I, I feel most comfortable writing in fluidly so I, I have a friend who started a magazine mm-hmm. her name is Aaliyah Heath and she's also on my team for um my company and her magazine is called pop out and she's asked me many times to write articles and as much as I want to I just don't know which direction to go in or what mm-hmm. to write about there's so many things that I'm passionate about but I feel like I need to regain the artist the, the artistic journalistic side of of writing since I've been writing so um theoretically for mm-hmm. the last six years <laughs> <laughs> did you ever think you know when you wanted to be an artist and all of that did you ever just consider hey I'm gonna do my bachelor's and then I'm gonna be done or was it always in your mind like I want to go get the highest diploma ever I mean it wasn't my idea. I have to give credit where credit is due. Mm-hmm. My mom has been a huge influence on me. She's always said, Karina, you're, you're going to get a PhD. <laughs> you're going to get your bachelor's, your master's, and your PhD. I am leaving it up to you, the the domain you're going to do it in. Mm-hmm. But all I know is that you're going all the way. And I was always like, all the way? That's so many years of school, mom. Really? And as time went on, you know, it, it things fell into place. Mm-hmm. As I finished my bachelor's, I because I already knew that that was the path, I had time to work my way into it. Mm-hmm. So after the bachelor's, I knew I was going to do the master's. And I actually almost did a master's in creative writing. Oh, wow. Yeah. What stopped you? I... Visa. <laughs> we were just talking about that. <laughs> Not going to burn any roads because you never know who's listening, but let's just say things are complicated right now. Understatement. <laughs> to say the least. To say the least. But, um, I, yeah. Did you ever consider any other place than Paris? Like, how did you end up in Paris? Obviously school, but... Um, it was serendipitous, for sure. Okay. I applied... My dream school is NYU. Oh my god, same. 
I graduated high school a year early and I went to my local community college and I did the associate's degree in one year instead of two. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I finished up, I was applying to tons of school, but the one I really wanted to go to was NYU. And I was but calling... did you want to do a fashion business? No, actually, I think I applied for communications. Okay. There. <laughs> so long ago, honestly. I'm... I Because I switched my major at some point. I was going to mm-hmm. apply to their business school. Then I realized that they accept like 25 people per year. Oh, God. And even though I had a 4.0 GPA, I was still stressed out. And yeah. I figured my chances of getting in were probably still slim with that 4.0. So I called admissions. I was like, hey, can I switch my application? And they let me. And I literally called the admissions office every week oh my God. for an admissions decision. To the point where they were like, no, Karina, we don't have a decision yet. <laughs> you will know. <laughs> kind of like, hello, if this is Karina, we don't have it. If not, please leave your message. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. They changed their voicemail. <laughs> oh my God, no way. <laughs> they might as well have. <laughs> and I mean, they really, they the, the response, they were one of the last to respond. But it was a yes. Application. It was a yes in the okay. end. But too late, kind of. Not exactly. I mean, while I was waiting, I went back on the Common App, and mm-hmm. I realized that there was an abroad, uh, an abroad section on the Common App. The Common App is the way that American students apply for okay. universities. Okay. Um, it's just one platform where you can see all of the schools and you do your entire application there. Oh, that's so easy. Honestly. Breeze. <laughs> and so I... I went back on there out of frustration to see what else there was lying beyond, mm-hmm. and I stumbled upon AUP through the Common App. I saw that there was also London and a couple of other countries, but I, I had never really considered moving abroad for school. Mm-hmm. And I was in the car with my mom one day, and I said, hey, how would you feel about me moving to France? She was like, Okay. And you need to know that that's actually insane. Why? This woman didn't even want me to move to Pennsylvania for school. (laughs) So so you have to understand my shock. (laughs) You're like, wait, does that mean I don't? Like, should I not apply because you're too calm? How do I react to that? My eyes were so wide looking at her. And she was like, yeah, I love France. You know, that's where I met your dad. Go to France. Apply. I said, okay, you know what? I'll I'll apply. (laughs) When I got the admissions decisions from NYU and the admissions decision from AUP, I went around my my school and people were so much more excited about AUP than they were NYU. Oh, really? Yeah. And that made me start to kind of consider it even more because I thought it was cool that I got in, Mm -hmm. but I didn't really think I would go. And then I decided to, and it changed my life. Okay. Then that was like almost seven years ago, I want to say. Six in August of 2020. Yeah. Okay. Did you know French before you came here? I did. Okay, tell us that story. Because I know you told me a while ago, but you know, (laughs) since we're talking all things today. Um, My parents both speak French, so I was really lucky. Do they speak to you in French or in English? They they speak to me in Franklish. Okay. And that's my fault, too. Because, I mean, growing up, I'd be like, Mom, just talk to me in English. Come on. <laughs> She'd be like, no, Karina. We need to keep your French, so I will talk to you in French. 
And then she texts me in French, and I'd be like, but mom, text me in English. But, you know, I'm really glad she did that because I had no choice but to keep my French. And it's such a difficult language. Yeah. I am so thankful that I knew it before I moved to, to Paris. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, it was kind of easy because it is a bit similar to Spanish, but pronunciation and all of that is still a bit hard. My first year here was so funny and so hell as well, so <laughs> I can only imagine how easier it would have been if I actually spoke French. But it's good that you know a Latin language. Honestly, Spanish is a dream really? compared to French, but also it's if you know it, it's you very should, similar. Do you yeah. not understand, like, if I were to tell you a couple of sentences well, in I Spanish? I took Spanish class in high school. Oh. I didn't tell the teacher I spoke French. It was a blast. <laughs> Favorite class, hands down. Oh my god, you cheated. <laughs> a little bit, fair. but don't tell her. <laughs> she had no clue. Every week she'd give us new words, and she'd ask us to guess, and I would guess all the words that sounded like French, and she'd be like, wow, you're so good. How do you guess this all the time? Just lucky, you know. Oh my god, that's so funny. Okay, do you actually think in French or in English? That's an interesting question. English, actually. Okay. I think I dream in English mostly too. Mm-hmm. Although sometimes on a on a blue moon, I'll dream in Spanish. Very blue. <laughs> okay, see, this is interesting because I don't think I've ever dreamed in a language, like in a specific language. How, huh. let's not get into, like, how does it feel, but, like, how can you tell if you were speaking a different language? Because I, I know I have conversations in my dreams, mm-hmm. and, uh, Is it just, I mean, like, you wake up with a sensation? No, I like, I remember that I was talking to the person in that language. Like, I remember the surroundings being in that language. Even if my dream is happening in France, oh, I know wow. that we were talking in English. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. I'm going to start noticing that because I don't, I honestly don't think I've ever dreamt in a specific language. That's I know really I talk as well. Yeah. <laughs> dreams are very, I should do an episode one day, interview like a dream specialist. Absolutely. Guys, if anyone out there knows a dream specialist, please hit me up. I would love to talk to them. Let me know I've got questions. Right. <laughs> Lucid dreaming. How? How do we do it? How do we get into that? How do you actually remember your dreams? It doesn't always happen. No? No. You know, sometimes I'll completely forget, and then I'll, like yesterday, for example, I woke up and I was like, I had so many great dreams, but I didn't remember any of them. (laughs) But I remember just like having good vibes in all of the dreams and being extremely eventful. And at some point I went back to like my bed and I was like, oh man, I had a dream about a bakery that had only pistachio desserts. (laughs) And that, I need you to know. That that is a literal dream. <laughs> I love pistachio anything. Oh my god, you're too funny. <laughs> oh, I'm so good. I remember just like not like being so excited to choose which pistachio dessert I would eat in that dream. Oh my god. So sad. Okay, so let's go back a little bit to creativity because, you know, dreams have to be creative and all that as well but where do you find inspiration where do you get all of your ideas let's start with painting like drawing and painting where do you get your ideas from people i am a friend seeing people or um in terms of painting i or drawing people i in terms of painting or drawing i end Mm -hmm. up drawing people for the most part so Mm -hmm. i look through tons of images and see which one speaks to me or just 
makes me want to draw it if I feel like um, it'll bring something new to like a different angle or um, different shading or if I just find the person really beautiful mm -hmm. I'll I'll just want to, to paint them but to be frank I've only actually painted on a canvas one person mm -hmm. and that person I've I'd drawn her previously on my iPad on my iPad so digitally okay. so this year. it was it was last year That girl is just insanely gorgeous, and she has something. I mm -hmm. think she's she's definitely a muse for me. Yeah, her name is Laura. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, did you ever take classes to learn how to draw and paint, or is it just like a natural talent? Never taken classes. Or self-taught. Yes, yeah, self self-taught, self-taught mostly. Though I've always wanted to take classes. Uh, I mean, the internet it has an abundance of resources. Yep, that they do. But despite that, I am just so impatient. Mm -hmm. I have never taken the foundations, which I get scolded for a lot <laughs> by my boyfriend. So if you're listening, stop scolding me. I'm trying, okay? <laughs> He's trying to push you to be better. Yes, this is true, and I really appreciate it. You need people like that in your life yeah. to push you to do what you love even better, to, to hone your craft. Yeah. That That's one thing I want to do with the talents that I'm working with, so it's great to have people in my personal life that are also pushing me to do what I love better. Mm-hmm. Okay, and now um, film and stuff like that, like creating content, where do you get inspired from? Pinterest is such a... Love Pinterest. Oh, man. I think Pinterest is so underrated. It is. Because you the mood, the mood boards you can make on Pinterest... You can find anything. You can literally find anything. Like you can even write mood and it'll show you <laughs> pictures of a mood. Like That's what I do. I've never done that, but that sounds like it would be really surprisingly. Efficient. They actually do find it. Like if you put, if you put like calm or happy, it'll literally show you pictures that embody happy. I don't know how they do it. The person that created it probably genius. Just saying. That makes sense. I mean, the images are beautiful, and if you're if I'm working on a creative project, like I'm working on a shoot tomorrow, mm -hmm. and in order to get ready for the shoot in order to even think about what we're going to do on the shoot we fire up the old pinterest and we start to get collages of images that we want to use as inspiration for mm -hmm. that for that shoot so we we got looks that we were interested in makeup that we found really cool mm -hmm. and poses and we already knew where we wanted to shoot so it was just a question of use, finding colors and props and schemes so that we can create something even more elaborate from it because one thing I've come to realize is nothing is original nothing is new everything comes from something so yeah. if you feel like what you're creating isn't new enough it isn't innovative enough it's because you need more inspiration you need you need to expose yourself to more artists more ways of thinking more literature in order to be able to find your voice to find mm -hmm. you, what you want to say particularly i love that 
Okay, now let's get into fashion and beauty. First of all, how did the whole fashion thing start for you? To give you guys a little bit of context, <laughs> we actually had a couple of classes in our master's degree on fashion, and we had this teacher. Um, she was really great. Um, I actually forgot her name. Madeline? Yeah, Madeline. Madeline Sigler, the she's OG. A, yeah. Sweetest lady. She's actually Hungarian, which is really funny because that's one of the things that we connected on because I was like, oh my god, you're Hungarian. One of my friends <laughs> is Hungarian. La, la, la. But yeah, so how did the whole fashion thing start for you? Did you always like fashion? Was it just like you came to Paris and you were like, ooh, fashion? Or Well, I was always interested in it. Um, I'd say my fashion sense has evolved at a much faster rate since being in Paris but I mean I think that also has to do with the fact that I live alone and I buy Mm -hmm. all my clothes on my own and I can essentially do it on my own time um there are no restrictions where but in high school I was already really interested in it I'd say that's where the peak of interest started Mm -hmm. especially when I was doing the um the fashion as the especially when I was Especially when I began my role as a fashion editor. Mm -hmm. That was a really great experience. I would bring my camera to school. Not every day, but a lot of the days. Mm -hmm. And I would take pictures of of the people that I thought had really great style. And, I mean, if I'm taking pictures of people with great style, I need to have, you know... I gotta practice what I'm preaching. (laughs) And so, I'd be the girl that wore wedges to school for no apparent reason okay which i think back to now and and i think that is incredibly uncomfortable <laughs> literally the clothes i wore when i was a teenager in high school, i'm like why did you do that to yourself like i'm confused i'm confused about a couple of things too i have flashbacks to this one outfit that i was so proud of and it was horrible actually. oh man <laughs> Hot pink converses, hot pink jeans, hot oh pink God. top with a superwoman on it. And I felt like the classiest girl <laughs> in the school. Oh my God. <laughs> that is so funny. So that, that that's where I'd say the humble beginnings really sprouted. And then in Paris, I mean, I, I had a whole identity crisis moving here. Because my whole wardrobe was colorful. I mean, you heard that outfit I just described. <laughs> and so I got rid of most of the color because every, everyone said that in Paris people wear black and color is not a thing. So I, I took it literally and I threw away all the I mean, I didn't throw away all the color. I just left it in New York. Oh, my God. But it was just all black. If you uh-huh. looked in my wardrobe, first to second year of Paris... Why, I remember one day just washing my laundry and staring at it drying, and I thought, who am I? <laughs> Everything is gray, black, and white. Oh, my God. So crazy. Um, and I think from that, from that moment, I was like, okay, let's start introducing color again, because this is, this is crazy. I need to step out of this. And I think from that moment, that's where I started to experiment a lot more with, with fashion and... That's, it's around that time that I also joined Pinterest, seriously. My fashion mood board on Pinterest is probably 500 pins strong. Oh my god. Yeah. Whew. I'm, more, I'm more of an Instagram person for outfits, but I should start Pinteresting. 
I'm like a Pinterest girl for everything else, <laughs> but when it comes to um, beauty finds and fashion, I'm an Instagram girl. See, I'm not looking to buy stuff on Pinterest, although people oh, do me that. Neither, but I'm just like, ooh, I want something like that. Let's, yeah. Let's, let's see what other people are selling. <laughs> That's <laughs> Where exactly can I it. find this? <laughs> Instagram is good for helping you actually find that thing that you wanted to buy because people are tagging the company that made it. Exactly. Mm. Okay, that's interesting. Did people ever tell you anything um, when you started wearing color again here? Because I know that used they to happen. They appreciate to me. it. They're like, "Wow, really? so bright!" Like I think two years ago, I bought this bright yellow puffer, and anytime I wear it in the winter, people are like, "Wow, thank you so much! You just brightened up the room." Like we needed this, and I think I mean fair considering everyone else is wearing black, gray, navy, blue, and white. That is so interesting. That's such a different experience than what I've had. What happened? Because I, I actually, when I first got here, I went to fashion school and everything, and I was the odd one out because I was like, you know, here comes the girl <laughs> from sunny Mexico with like 50 colors all the time, refuses to wear it. black. Um, I thought, you know, black was just for like special whatever occasions. Then I started wearing a little bit more of black back in the day, and now I do mix black and color. But basically, I started doing that because people were like, oh my god, but you kind of like just like a lot of colors, right? And I'm like, well, that's kind of like my personality. <laughs> yeah. They're like, um, you should probably buy more black because it's like a nice and elegant color. You said that? Yeah, even now. Like whenever I do wear, I have a bright pink jacket. I have like a furry three-colored uh, coat, which is beautiful. But people mostly stare. Like I have had people tell me, staring. oh, it's really cool, but like... Yeah. Two people out of, like, 15 that just stare at me in a way, like, what the hell is this girl wearing? Like, why is she wearing those colors? They're probably not thinking, why is she wearing those colors? They're probably thinking, man, I wish I could wear those colors. I like that way of thinking, and I'd adopt that. I am so serious. You know, in Paris, people will stare, but they won't say anything. Yeah. That's just the culture. Yeah. That's why people watching is a pastime. Oh, my God, I love people watching. <laughs> it's literally one of my favorite things. Seriously. Oh, it is, it is really wonderful to sit back at a cafe with a nice little cocktail. Oh my god, yeah. Sunglasses on, though. You know, so that you can actively people watch. <laughs> <laughs> Have your habits changed since moving to Paris? I mean, I know we're going to talk about it in the Instagram TV episode, but, you know, let's dive a little bit into it. Like, do you feel like you've changed as a person since moving here to New York? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, when I first moved here... I went on a date with someone who... Cheesy secrets. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm just giving you guys all the tea. <laughs> Love so, it. I, I met him on, a, on the train, actually. It was that... His meeting him was so Euro. <laughs> it was like what an American dreams of, uh, you know, how, what it's like to meet someone, you know, mm-hmm. in, in, in France, in Europe. So, I was on the train coming going home from someone's birthday party and he was talking with his friends um, in the car and they were saying some really funny stuff and I couldn't help myself but to laugh and they started including me in the conversation and when he jumped out of the train, he said, what's your number? (laughs) And so we traded numbers just as the doors were closing. Yeah. Oh my God. Man, it was so cute. So cute. And so he actually texted me the next day. We went on a date that week. And um, he was from Eastern Europe. I don't remember where, though. Maybe Love Poland. European very handsome. Mm, very nice, too. We're not going to get into the deep, deep tea there. But Did he end up being a psycho? 
kind of. If you could only see her face, guys, it tells you more than what she's saying. So, yeah. Let's leave it at he was a bit of a psycho. We'll leave it there. Okay. Um, But what I did learn from him, though, because our first date was eight hours long. Oh, wow. It was so cute. We went on a walk, an eight-hour-long walk with dinner and just, like, drinks in between. And at some point, the next day, he texted me. He said, you know, Americans are very different. I was like, what do you mean? And he said, you know, you guys have such a whole process for courtship. In Europe, we don't do that. Like, you guys need to go on your first date. Maybe you'll hold hands. And then you'll go on your second date and maybe you'll give a little smooch. But that's it, you know. And then you have to keep working into these little milestones little by little. Mm-hmm. And there are bases. And I thought, well, I mean, yeah, but that's just how it is. And he's like, no, it's not. He sent me this infographic of New York versus Berlin of how courtship happens between the two cities. Oh, my God. And I'll never forget it because I, I really thought, okay, well, I am in a new country where people do things completely differently than I do. It's up to me to either accept or refute what they say, but I have to have an open mind to spot the biases that I that have grown on me because of my culture mm-hmm. and because of the people that I was surrounded by. I mean, I moved back to, to New York for the summer that the year after, and one of my friends from high school said, Karina, you changed. And I was a little offended by that. But as time went on, so much less, because I realized, if you're not changing, you're dead. Yeah. You have to change. You have to evolve. Yeah, for sure. Hmm, that's great. That's an interesting story. I can relate, but I'm going to save it for another episode so we have more tea to spill. (laughs) Um, I also wanted to ask you, so why did you actually start your company? Why did you decide to start your company? Did you always dream of doing it? Was it just like a spur of the moment situation? Did it fall in your lap? Like, tell me everything. I have had an entrepreneurial bowl I have had an entrepreneurial bone in my body for quite some time, I think. Mm-hmm. I started my first, quote, business in, like, the second grade. Okay. <laughs> Small time stuff, but, you know, that's how I got started. I would sell... I learned how to crochet, and so I started selling hats and scarves to people in my school for, like, 2 to $5. <laughs> and my mom was like, Karina, that is just... That's too little. The time that you spend to make it doesn't equal the price you're selling it at. And I was like, but mom, they're kids. (laughs) They have an allowance. I need to give them a price that they'll give me the money for. Yeah. And she was like, okay, that's actually, that's smart. Okay, (laughs) you do you. So that was step one. Crochet has actually worked its way back into my life a few times. Really? For businesses, (laughs) yeah. Not since, but a couple, in high school it started again too. I mean... Um, I started a, uh, an online store when I was ending high school, too. I sold vans that I painted on. Okay. Yeah. And cool. it did pretty well. I mean, I think I had it open for, like, three months. I had 60 orders all over the world, like wow. Australia, France, um, throughout the U.S., too. And that was really cool. That was my first, like, really successful business. Mm-hmm. I was going to the van store weekly. And I knew everyone that worked there. It was really cool because actually they were doing these little coupons where you could get free vans if you bought like four or five pairs. And I was buying four or five pairs at a time. 
I had so many pairs of Vans at that point for myself. So cool. But anyway, I digress. That's so funny. <laughs> And, and what actually drove you now to start your own thing? So I've been working corporate for five years now with all of my internships and, and practical experiences mm-hmm. across domains. And I felt like it was time. You know, I am at a point where I'm really lucky that I have the opportunity to start a business that I have accumulated enough knowledge I'm still learning mm-hmm. and I have the support of really smart and strong people behind me and I have a clear vision of what I want to do and this is the first time that it's been so clear of what my business will be mm-hmm. I've always known that after corporate I would start a business but I didn't know exactly what business mm-hmm. and it's really exciting because the structure is evolving every day. It's getting more and more clear. And um, people are backing it up. The next step is just to so. cash some checks. <laughs> <laughs> so what is it that you actually want to accomplish? Like, what is your end goal? What does future I, Corinna want? I didn't Corinna. realize... <laughs> Keep doing one, sorry. It's okay. I didn't realize how important sustainability was going to be to me until I started my PhD. Mm-hmm. In my last few semesters, we've been looking at business model innovation and um, strategies that businesses use to, I mean, to attract and to make their businesses successful. Mm-hmm. And uh, sustainability was one that, I mean, it's extremely important in the world that we live in and to create a future for our children and our families. Mm-hmm. And uh, it starts with businesses like it starts with us people but businesses are the ones that have the power to really make change Mm -hmm. and it's better for them too to make that change because if businesses make their models more sustainable they care more about the environment and their communities they win tenfold because their products are essentially stronger, their communities are stronger, their clients and consumers can trust them more, yeah. and they'll sell so much more. So it doesn't make any sense why companies are so reluctant to um, evolve and to make their um, processes better and more sustainable. And sustainable sustainability is an umbrella term for so many different facets of business mm-hmm. that there is not a shortage of ways that businesses can make an effort that they're not currently doing. So that that's one of my goals. And to do that, I'm approaching it via content and um, strategy development and consulting mm-hmm. and uh, by creating um, an audience for my business, it'll give me credibility for businesses to trust that I am a voice to that that has impact because and we we know that today in order to really have your voice heard you need to have people that are listening yeah and and if you don't have people that are listening you need someone with impact to back you up in order to give you that value because me just as me going up to a company that I admire that I know could do better and say hey do better (laughs) and be like cool bye yeah (laughs) thanks for your input we'll take it up with our managers and you know what that manager will never see the light of day of that comment no no they won't 
And so that's my approach, you know, help creatives work together on projects that are meaningful for them. Mm -hmm. That's where the talent management comes in. I have recruited musicians, makeup artists, stylists, models, um, graphic designers, cinematographers, and they're all extremely talented. And I see so much potential for them. And creating the network means that they have other people they can rely on too mm-hmm. to work on professional projects and making them build those connections internally by working on their one another's personal projects it gives them a sense of community that then will make working on client projects even more impactful mm-hmm. and even stronger so we'll be able to do to do real change that's the goal I love that. Well, I wish you all the best. And I want to end this interview with my favorite question. Um, I'm pretty sure at some point or another, you've had a thought or an experience that you felt like you were the only one. It could be like some fear or whatever it is. First of all, what was it? And second of all, what would you tell other people that might be experiencing the same thing, but you know, they don't know that other people have had that? It's a very good question. I love it because everybody takes it differently. I've had so many different responses and I'm like, mm, I didn't even think of interpreting <laughs> it that way. Hmm. You know, the first thing I guess that came to mind is anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think we all know that everyone has or deals with a certain level of anxiety. But I personally, because I'm so social, I think... Most people assume that I don't deal with, that I don't have anxiety and that I'm just uh, an easygoing free bird. And that can make you feel really alone. Mm -hmm. So other ENFPs that may be listening out there. (laughs) Um, Wait, which one is the ENFP? Are you an entertainer? Campaigner. Okay. Yeah. So I, from the memes I've seen of campaigners, that made me see that I'm not alone, you know? Doing research online, literally just typing in how you feel on the internet Uh will probably make you feel a lot less alone because you'll realize that there are so many people dealing with what you're dealing with. Um, And that's comforting. I mean, you have... Yeah, it's comforting. You have to still make the effort to not feel that way, as hard Mm -hmm. as that, that may be. And personally... Public speaking is still something that's really hard for me, even though I'm someone that's so social and outgoing and I love to talk to other people. But when it has to when it's in a large crowd, Mm -hmm. that's where I start to get a little bit nervous. But what I found helps is knowing your subject. I think if you know what you're going to be talking about and Mm -hmm. you're passionate about it, Mm -hmm. then you should just rely on that. Like you should take solace and comfort in your enthusiasm for the topic that you're talking about and let that carry you to give a speech or a talk that is genuine. Mm, I like that. Okay, well, I like that. I like that a lot. And that was a great interview. Thank you we for We nailed it. Me. Let's do a high five. Yes. <laughs> I hope that doesn't crack your ears. Sorry, but you know, excitement. First ever live guest. Hopefully once Corona ends and all of this changes, 
I will be able to interview more people live or travel and interview people live in their places. We'll see. In any case, um, you'll be able to find Karina's Instagram on the description and any other links that you might want. I might link the talent agency. Do you have a website? I do. Perfect. We're going to link that as well. And as usual, guys, you can go check my Instagram out at Pretty Sure Podcast. Please don't forget to leave a review. Let us know if you loved this episode with Karina or if you like me to do more episodes like this. This is unscripted, totally, by the way. Um, I always let you know when that happens. So, yeah. Thanks again, Karina, for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. I'll see you guys next week. Peace out.